You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for the Washington Post. Well, on this big day for President Biden in Rome, just wrapping up a meeting with the Pope, a long meeting, 90 minutes with the leader of the Catholic Church there in Rome, six hours ahead of Washington. But back here in Washington, let's talk about what was happening yesterday here in the Capitol before the president left. He released the framework for the now $1.75 trillion infrastructure bill that he hopes to get through Congress. Uh, He urged all Democrats to get behind it in a meeting with the caucus behind closed doors. But still hanging in the air is this one question. Will they? Will they pass both those bills or one of those bills? Here to break it all down is Jackie Alamami, anchor of the early 202 newsletter. Good morning, Jackie. Welcome back to First Look. Good morning, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Okay, so answer the question. (laughs) Will they? Where do things stand right now? Well, President Biden landed in Italy uh, to meet with Pope Francis without the deal that he begged lawmakers to help him clinch before leaving for his trip abroad yesterday. That being said, there is some renewed optimism, notably amongst the Congressional Progressive Caucus and uh, Pramila Jayapal, who has been leading the way on having progressives hold the line to make sure that they do not vote in favor of the bipartisan infrastructure package uh, before there is a legislative text for the social spending bill that has come down to $1.75 trillion. So, you know, in, in terms of whether things succeeded or failed yesterday for Nancy Pelosi to hold the vote that she told her lawmakers uh, would embarrass the president if they tanked, that failed. That vote did not happen because Pelosi realized she didn't have the votes and that that would fail. Um, So that has been postponed as now lawmakers are scrambling to write this legislative text. And so that Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema have more time to communicate their view on whether or not they explicitly support this framework. They are the two moderate senators that have been holding this whole process up. And even though that framework was designed by the White House to appease those two, they shaved down a lot of Democratic priorities in order to get it to a workable place for them. You know, Sinema and Manchin were were conspicuously um, hedged around whether or not they supported and would vote in favor of the, that legislative framework if it were to come to the to the floor for a vote, the Senate. Mm-hmm. Let, uh, let's go back to uh, Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal of Washington, chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And this is the thing that I find very interesting. She, meaning herself, but also the caucus, didn't shoot down this framework, didn't say that they wouldn't support it. Um, So to my mind, even though the vote didn't happen yesterday, the fact that the Progressive Caucus said, we're down with this, we just need need to have Manchin and Sinema tell us that they're going to vote for this. Should Democrats view this as a really hopeful sign that even though the vote didn't happen yesterday, that it will happen? Yeah, completely. That's it's a really good point. Uh, I mean, I talked with Congresswoman Rosa Delora on the phone last night, who was um, 
you know, upset that some of her, the biggest priorities that she's worked on in the house for decades since she took office in 1990, like paid family leave and the child tax credit, that they weren't included in that framework in a way that she had envisioned and that the way that she's worked for, for again, for over 10 years. That being said, she said she still would have supported the framework as is and would have supported the bipartisan infrastructure package, would have voted yes on that because she supports President Biden. She wants to get it get it done. But this is an issue of trust more than anything right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're exactly right in pointing out that progressives, you know, spoke favorably of this framework. They uh, were messaging on it positively. Their issue is that they do not trust that if they if they vote in favor of the bipartisan infrastructure package, that after that, Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema will ultimately support the 1.7 Five trillion dollar package. Uh, they're really wary of it. Um, you know, you had progressive lawmakers, you know, explicitly saying that Juan Vargas telling our our team on the Hill that he liked what the president had to say. He just doesn't know what two senators on the other side have to say, and they were really reticent to make their point yesterday. So I think you know, again, people just want to see the text. They want to see those assurances, and then they're ready to move forward. You know, what I thought was interesting, you know, last night, late last night, uh, Congressman Jayapal was giving interviews all over the place. And it was interesting, one of the interviews I saw, she said, because that's been her demand, we need to see the text before we vote. But she said in the interview, we've got the text, we're going through it. And so far, so good, looks good, but we're a mansion in cinema, which leads to my question, because there's so much focus on, on, on the Progressive Caucus. But why are Senators Manchin and Cinema, particularly Cinema, so reticent about saying definitively that they support the framework or they don't? That's a really good question. Um, it's something that I haven't been able to figure out from um, my sources and the lawmakers that I've been in touch with. And I don't think they are able to figure it out either, which is why you saw this vote that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wanted to take place yesterday fail. And a big part of Biden's speech yesterday and his remarks to House lawmakers was, trust me, this is on me, do this for me. Um, And, you know, that even didn't push these progressives over the line uh, to come out and and sort of uh, change the strategy that they had been taking here, because there is such distrust of these two centrist lawmakers who have sort of single-handedly dictated a lot of this process. You know, lawmakers thought they were close to getting this done a month ago with a $3.5 trillion package until the whole thing was blown up by Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema. Um, you know, it's, but it's, again, it's very unclear why they haven't come out and fully embraced it. Maybe they're waiting for their opportunity to do so on a Sunday show. Uh, but, you know, Kristen Sinema has been, you know, wary of, of doing mainstream media interviews. She has sort of stayed very quiet and terse with the press, doesn't answer that many questions in the hallways of Congress. Joe Manchin, a little less so. So I think even in his case, the fact that he couldn't just say, yes, I support this framework, I will vote for it once it comes onto the floor, um, was, was again, notable. Um, before I let you go, I want to, uh, well, one, Senator Manchin in um, clips that I read about when he was asked this question in terms of like, are you going to vote for the framework? Um, he's basically said, you know, trust the president. 
Do you trust the president? He said, you know, the votes are there, so trust the president. I think the fact that, um, you know, their Manton and Cinema are being squirrely on this question is what keeps driving a lot of the the mistrust. But that's that's just me. I got to get you on a question on January sixth committee here because the the news um, out that Jeffrey Clark um, has been allowed by the committee to delay his uh, testimony before the committee because his lo- he lost his lawyer. A- any idea? I mean, in. A- this is extraordinary, but any idea why Clark lost the lawyer? So, yeah, we have some indication so far. My colleagues, Tom Hamburger and Josh Dossie, wrote that story last night, and um, they were able to report that there was some disagreement between Bob Driscoll and Jeffrey Clark, um, one of the top Trump DOJ officials uh, who you know, supported President, former President Trump's claims of election fraud and sort of wanted to try to take that further and execute it by um, ousting Trump's sitting Attorney General, uh, uh, Attorney General Rosen, um, and that him and his lawyer had a difference of agreement on whether or not Clark should be cooperating with the committee mm-hmm. and to the extent he should be cooperating. We still don't know the full picture there of the breakup between uh, his lawyer and, and Jeffrey Clark, but uh, you're exactly right. Clark is a great person of interest for this committee and what exactly he was talking about with the president with regards to the plan to uh, deny Joe Biden his legitimate electoral victory. Um, and he was supposed to appear today for a deposition. There have been um, dozens of people who have been subpoenaed and asked to provide records and testimony for this committee who are cooperating. And Jeffrey Clark right now uh, you know, may or may not be one of them, but we don't know for sure as he's received a continuance or an extension to be able to find a new lawyer um, to then potentially come back to the committee for his deposition uh, in the coming weeks. Jackie, I think we've gone over time, but I got to get you on one more question, and it's just a yes yeah. or no. I'll be quick. Will, will, will there be a vote on both Build Back Better and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Plan next week? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jackie Alamany, anchor Evergreen. of the early, early 202 newsletter. Thank you for coming back to First Look. Have a great weekend. You too. We're going to keep the conversation going um, with our opinions roundtable in just a moment. Stay with us. Now let's go to let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my colleagues Hugh Hewitt. And Eugene Robinson, Gene, Hugh, welcome back to First Look. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Jonathan. Okay, Gene, you have this great column in, in the paper today with a lot of sports references <coughs> that I kind of maybe don't understand, but your main, <laughs> point, your main point is this to the Democrats. Pass the bipartisan infrastructure plan. Take the win. Talk more about your column. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's just time to wrap this up. Basically, I mean, I, I think the, both sides, the progressives and the moderates, have gotten what they can get uh, out of each other, uh, and um, and they they seem to have a deal. Uh, so uh, it's it's but it's it's time to go ahead and and pass the thing, both pieces of legislation, uh, and then start talking about what's in them rather than what's not in them. 
um, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, what's not in the bills is not much of a sell uh, <laughs> as you're looking ahead toward the midterms. Uh, it's, it's certainly not much of a help to uh, Terry McAuliffe, who's you know who's, who's fighting uh, in Virginia uh, in in this atmosphere. It's not helping anybody at this point, including Mansion and Cinema. I mean, they have they've gotten uh, a lot uh, that they wanted, um, uh, and and so it's time to it's time to wrap it up. I think they should commit to the framework, and the, mm -hmm. and and everybody should vote on it, and we should move on. You know, Hugh, uh, what do you think about the trimmed down version of of the framework that the president released before leaving for for Italy yesterday morning? It costs a whole lot less than the original price tag everybody was talking about, three point five trillion. Now it's at one point seven five trillion. I mean, it, it's got some good stuff in it, right? No, no, John, you might get a little bit <laughs> talk of about a leading question. Bill, but no, it's an inflationary nightmare. By the way, I'm wearing my Spartan tie today. It's my green tie because the Michigan State Spartans are going to beat up on Jeans Wolverines this weekend. So there's oh, a Oh, Hugh, Hugh, and, don't, and go, there. don't go there. Don't go there. So he's right. Gene is right. I want to say that as many times as I can. Gene is right. I don't get to say that very much. So Gene is right. They're not doing McAuliffe any favors. I come to you from my Virginia radio studio where people are taking down their Terry McAuliffe signs. The Fox News poll has uh, Glenn Youngkin up eight points, surging 15 points in two weeks as Which Terry McAuliffe- Which 538 says is an outlier, and yeah, the average I, is that they are tied. Just want to put so that out there. Watch for the other one. I think they're all going to rush to the Youngkin win, because I do believe it's going to be a very significant Youngkin win. And part of that is the failure of the Democrats to be able to function as an effective party. And maybe McAuliffe would have been able to get more than a tenth of the park uh, filled when Joe Biden came across the river to help him this week, had the Democrats actually done anything. So I think the paralysis is wonderful. I want it to continue. I don't think the progressives are going to get pushed over. They're, they're being offered crumbs of the original loaf they asked for. Why would they do that? Except for reasons that are uh, concessionary to the Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema way. Gene, uh, I would love your views on 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 um, Virginia and what Hugh had to say. Well, look, um, uh, we can uh, we can call that Fox News poll an outlier, and it may well be one. However, um, this is uh, at the very least a an extremely close contest, and uh, and so if if McAuliffe isn't worried uh he certainly uh, he certainly ought to be and uh, judging by the the fact that he that his campaign sends out about 10 me emails uh per hour um uh, he is he is concerned uh and uh, so we'll we'll see i mean uh, there's been a lot of early voting uh, already um uh virginia is a is a much bluer state than it than it had been uh but this is, um, at the very least, a really close contest. And yes, I mean, I when do I get to say this? Hugh is right. Uh, Democrat, the, the, the <laughs> Democrats' failure to, to, to move this package forward, I think, has to be affecting um, McAuliffe's uh, prospects and chances right now. Uh, and now, ironically, if McAuliffe were to lose, 
that would certainly concentrate the mind of uh, of any Democrat who hopes uh, and, to to you know has, has any hope of re retaining a majority uh, in next year's midterm. Uh, and right. So and, that would probably you know release the logjam and get everything passed. But that that would be uh, that that's quite a price to pay. Uh, well, if, that, if, you know for for not doing what you ought to do anyhow. Right, and that's a nice segue to the, um, the follow-up question I was going to ask you, Gene, because House Majority Whip Jim Clyburn um, warned that the division within the Democratic Party could cost Democrats the majority in 2022. Now, this has been part of the narrative now for a good four or five months, and Democrats have this uncanny ability to punch themselves in the face and end up, you know, yeah. fulfilling you know prophecies that they themselves have put out there. But according to you, and expand on this, the majority whip is, is he right? That this very well a year, a year later um, could impact the 2022 midterm elections? Well, um, look, a, you know, a year is more than a, an eternity in politics. Um, so, uh, you know, is, is, are you going to see a direct cause and effect? Uh, I, 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 but, but. Um, Jim Clyburn is a very wise man, uh, and he's a very smart man, and he, I, I think he, he sees that the party has to be seen to get its act more together than it appears right now. Uh, you know, I have argued for some time that, sure, you know, the, the progressives are negotiating with the moderates. This is, this is kind of how legislation, legislating works. Um, they reach compromises. Nobody is in love with the final result, but uh, but it's a substantial result. I think there's a lot of good stuff mm -hmm. uh, in these in these two packages. Um, uh, however, you gotta um, get across the finish line at some point, and you know the Democrats are are run, will be running against history. Uh, in next year's midterms, you know, uh, the president gets elected from one party, uh, and the other party wins the first midterm. That's the um, that's the rule, and, and it, it has been broken. Uh, you know, uh, it has been broken in the past, but that's the general yeah. rule, and so they're swimming up upstream. So um, the the more recent time that that rule was broken was in two thousand two when uh, President George W. Bush, uh, the Republican Party was able to gain seats uh, in those midterm elections. You know, um, Hugh, Dan Baltz, I believe in, in the paper today, has a column where he basically says, you know, all of this legislating, which the American people seem to have forgotten how this all works, it's ugly, there's a reason why we call it sausage making. Nobody wants to see the sausage being made, but they love to eat it when it's when it's done and out of the skillet. And he makes the argument that a year from now, in the end, no one's going to remember all of the wheeling and the dealing and the, the, the crying and the bedwetting. All they're going to remember is what's actually in the bill, assuming it passes. And so considering that a lot of the pieces of the Build Back Better, but also the bipartisan infrastructure plan, are things that enjoy majority support among the American people, doesn't Dan have, have a point that come a year from now, assuming the bill, both bills are passed, 
that this moment we're in right now, no one's going to remember it. What they will remember is the child income tax credit. They'll remember all of the other things that are in there that are impacting their daily lives. That's a good argument, Jonathan. Uh, and Dan Balls always that was has a question. A, it's a it's 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 a it's a, a question posed as a as a Dan Balls point, which is a good point. Uh, people ask at election time, "What have you done for me lately?" And that's why I had State Senator Ohio Matt Dolan, who's running for the to replace Rob Portman on the radio show this morning, and I moderated a debate of six of them on Sunday night. I wrote about it for the Post. Matt Dolan's running on infrastructure. He's running in Ohio on what he's done for the Mahoning Valley. He would have supported Rob Portman's vote on the infrastructure. Infrastructure actually is, you can see it, touch it, smell it. People know what it is. That's different from the Build Back Better agenda, which I think is vastly overrated in the kind of votes that it will move. But the infrastructure bill could have done a lot of good, and I'm glad the progressive killed it, because with it, they killed Terry McAuliffe's campaign. By the way, 2010, President Obama lost 63 seats. 63 seats, not George W. Bush picked up seats after the 9-11 attack. That was 14 months after 9-11. It is the outlier. The uh, Democrats are going to get pasted next year because redistricting plus the first off-year election for a new president always combines to crush, like President Obama, 63 seats. There are a lot of Democrats, or in fact, you guys know them. I feel bad for them. If they don't vote for this, they're going to get beat up by the progressives, if they do vote for it, they're going to lose their jobs in Ohio and in the Midwest because nobody likes the Build Back Better agenda, who isn't on the very left side of the Democratic Party. Well, I would have to disagree with that. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people like the child tax credit. A lot of people like the idea of having uh, some, some uh, help with elder care. A lot of people like uh, the idea of... of uh, of universal pre-kindergarten. A lot of people like a lot of what's in the bill. The more difficult marketing question for the Democrats is there are, you know, it, it's hard to sell 25 things at once. Uh, and it, it's uh, it, it's difficult, you know, it's, it's not the kind of bill where you have the one overwhelming thing that you can sort of drive home um, in a, in a, on a bumper sticker. And, uh, and so that's the, but as, as these provisions affect people's lives, I think people will like it a lot. I mean, just as we've seen with Obamacare, um, the first midterms, while they were arguing that the Democrats got slaughtered, uh, but it became law, and now people love it. It is now more popular than it ever was, than it ever, than it has ever been. Um, the, you know, actually, Hugh makes a very good point when it comes to the the upcoming midterms. In terms of, you know, redistricting is going to be a problem mm -hmm. for Democrats. Rachel Bittacoffer, um, the election forecaster who accurately predicted the Democratic takeover of the House in 2000 in 2018 um i wanted her on my sunday show on msnbc and i wanted her to go through house races which of the house races we're watching and she said it can't do it because between you know with redistricting democrats are gonna lose 10 seats before a vote is even cast so democrats are going into the midterms with with an arm and a leg and maybe an eye you know uh, an eye patch going into into the midterm elections, but it, Hugh, 
is there something lurking out there that could slow the roll of Republicans? Could yeah. they over? Could they overplay? Yeah, oh, Donald, yeah, Donald Trump, Trump, if he shows up at the wrong place at the wrong time, will cost a lunch. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm very aware that Andy Walter is keeping a wonderful scorecard over at the Cook Political Report on the state-by-state state redistricting. Right now, it's plus 2.5 GOP seats. Illinois, by the way, the home of the worst gerrymander in the United States because the Democrats are absolutely putting the shiv into everything that's red that moves. And that's fine. That's the way it should be. It'll happen. Texas as well. I love the process. That's what the framers intended. But right now it's only two and a half points because some of these independent redistricting commissions are screwing up what ought to be a political free for all. Colorado should have five Democrats and three Republicans. They're going to end up with four and four. It's a great, it's a great knockdown drag out battle being made worse by Democratic incompetence uh, in D.C. That's my, my bottom line point. If they're not functioning well as a party, if there are two Democratic parties, and I think there are, that helps my team. I'm a Republican. Hugh, but if, and I take your point because we're in the legislative sausage making process, but if they pass both these, both these bills, that does, that's not Democratic incompetence. I mean, the argument could be made, they got it done. Are you saying that if, even if, if they get it done, the provisions of the bill will be so unpopular that it'll still um, hurt them in 2022? I'm saying that Obamacare crushed them and it was, it was passed in 2010 before the election and it crushed them because nobody thought it helped them. To get an infrastructure bill to actually help anyone by a year from now, would have required that it be passed six months ago. Thank you, Progressive Caucus, for killing it. Thank you for taking away anything from Biden that will trickle down to voters by then. Uh, I'm just kind of very clear-eyed about if a Congress is going to strike, they have to strike quick. If they don't strike quick, they don't win anything for the, tw- the off year. Gene, I've heard Hugh say this now about three or four times. The progressives killed, um, they killed the bills. That's not true. Uh, no, I don't think that's true at all. I think the progressives actually have been um, uh, extremely pragmatic and flexible on during this whole process. The, 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 and that's actually the that not is 100% been correct. Yeah, the ones the, who have not the been infrastructure flexible. bill had 17 Republicans Wait, vote for it in the Senate. Wait, yeah. Hugh, let, let, yeah. let Gene finish his point. No. Let Gene finish his point. I'm, you know, I'm talking about the Build Back Better bill. The infrastructure bill is is ready. And yes, the progressives um, are on board with it. But uh, but you have to understand why uh, they see these as a as a as a package. These these two bills, and they want some assurances on Build Back Better before they vote for infrastructure. Now. Um, you can blame the, the progressive if you want. You could very easily blame Manchin and Cinema, who could have uh, uh, let us know uh, much earlier uh, what their bottom line was. They could have, we could have, they could have reached a deal um, rather than sort of come up with these uh, last-minute objections. And well, you know, everybody thought they were on board with 3.5. They voted for that framework. Uh, remember um, when they when they set up the reconciliation right. package? So everybody thought they were on board with that, and then they are the ones who said, "Well, hold it, wait. You know, it can't be more than 1.75 according to 
according to Joe Manchin. So um, I I think you're you're pointing fingers in the wrong direction. I think the progressives have, have been very flexible. Hugh, I'm going to get you on one last question, and we've got about 90 seconds left, so you've got to be real quick. President in, is uh, in the Vatican in Italy uh, for the G20 uh, this weekend, but he's going there with not so many um, U.S. ambassadors confirmed by uh, by the Senate, primarily because Senator Ted Cruz, Senators Cruz, and Josh Hawley have been blocking diplomats from being confirmed. The question is, are these senators harming U.S. foreign policy? Real quick. No, uh, there's nothing going to change because Jeff Lankett is in Turkey, yet, even though he got confirmed. This is a replay of what uh, the Democrats did to President Trump. And I think it's unfortunate. I think everyone ought to get a quick vote, but it's just tit for tat. <sighs> Let me say the 90-minute confession that Joe Biden had at the at the uh, Vatican this morning. I'm a Catholic. That's a long time to be in the box. He beat everybody. He laughed like uh, two times longer mm -hmm. than Donald Trump. I'm worried about what was going on there. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not so uh, I'm not so worried. And also, Hugh, on the diplomats point, if my um, memory serves, President then President Donald Trump had, I believe, 22 U.S. 22 U.S. ambassadors confirmed at this point in his presidency. No time for rebuttal, Hugh. No time for rebuttal. Gene Robinson, Hugh Hewitt. We got to go. Oh, Thank you, I, as I always, for words. coming. I got two two words for Hugh, and he knows You'll what pass. they are. Go blue. <laughs> Gene Robinson, Hugh Hewitt. <laughs> Have a great weekend. <laughs> Head to WashingtonPostLive.com to find more information about next week's interviews and to register. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Thank you for tuning in to Washington Post Live's First Look. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.